Good morning. Joining things in our culture, if we're honest, doesn't necessarily mean that we're fully committed. Or joining whatever it might be doesn't necessarily mean personal transformation. I'll give you an example, a gym membership. You can be member of a gym, carry your card along, but unless you go to the gym and actually do exercise, you're really not fully committed, even though you have that gym membership. I uh, can... I was thinking of several examples in my life of things I've committed to, but I was not very faithful with my commitment. And uh, one in particular, when I went to uh, Virginia Tech as an undergrad student, my sister said, you know, you should get involved with some extracurricular stuff, kind of like high school, right? So boost your resume, right? Because my grade point average was just, you know, slightly above average at the time, and she thought I needed all the help I could get. So I decided to be a tour guide with this organization at Virginia Tech. The problem was... I wasn't very committed to learning all the facts about the university. I just was kind of winging it. I was pretty good at talking with people and carrying on conversations and distracting them from the actual facts. And I, re- I remember just going up to this big, and I remember there was something about the cafeteria. It was supposed to be like the biggest somewhere. So I would say, this is the biggest cafeteria in all of America, right? You know, and uh, they're kind of looking at me with a funny look on their face and You know, it went on. I remember one time in particular, uh, this lady was asking me, and she was you could tell she was very concerned. She goes, is this a safe campus? And I'm like, absolutely. We go in the next dorm, and there's a wanted poster of some student who had (laughs) assaulted another student or something, and I'm kind of like, you know, taking it down as we're walking. And so anyway, I didn't have much business. Even though I was a member of this group, I really wasn't committed, and unfortunately, it showed at the time. Like I said before, from gym memberships to uh, church memberships to vacation club memberships, Sam's Club member, maybe that's the only thing you're a member of, I don't know. We all are part of these uh, things that we're members of. High school kids, I work with a lot of them, uh, they uh, do things to uh, boost their uh, resume as well, right, for college. So they join clubs. They join sports. But just because they have them uh, on their uh, resume or their, you know, for their college apps doesn't necessarily mean they really were that committed to them. had a kid in a youth group years ago who uh, was on the robotics team. He was terrible at science and math. And I said, what are you doing on the uh, robotics team? He's like, I just want to, you know, hopefully it'll get me into Clemson. I'm like, if you're not good at math and you're not good at science, Clemson may not be your calling either. But, hey, good for him for, uh, for trying. You know, the, the deal with this commitment deal is that on its own, just saying you're committed to something doesn't necessarily always make for a, for a fully-fledged member, right? But I believe that when we understand what it means to belong to something, when we understand we're an integral part to a team, it changes everything. It changes workplaces when we understand we're valued as an employee. It changes relationships, Greg had a wedding yesterday. As he uh, was counseling the, uh, the bride and the groom before the wedding, he didn't say to them, you know, after the wedding, you guys pretty much can go your own way. You know, it's just all about the wedding. No, it's all about the commitment, that they understand that they both belong to each other. That's how a marriage can be successful. Soldiers understand this as they sacrifice their lives for their country. And even on a more superficial level, Athletes understand this, that they're doing anything they can for the betterment of their team. 
We've all had that favorite team we've rooted for, and they have the prima donna on the team who seems to distract from the team, and the whole team tends to go downhill because of this player who's all about me. In our reading today, in Romans, we come across a passage that's pretty interesting. And the passage says this. It's the prologue to uh, Romans. It says, And you also are among the Gentiles, among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. See, this good, the good news this morning on the fourth week of Advent as we get ready to celebrate the birth of Christ is that God has called us to belong to Jesus Christ. And this is more than a gym membership. This belonging will transform our lives. It will give us purpose. It will help us as we go through each day to know who we are, who we belong to, and how we're supposed to act, what we're supposed to do. This faith we have not only transforms us, as we share it with others, it can transform those we come in contact with. So in order to better understand this, I thought it was important for us to revisit the birth of Christ, or at least or the conversation that the angel had with Joseph this morning, and then we'll look again at this Romans passage, and we can understand what it really means for each and every one of us to belong to Christ, and what that could look like us on a daily basis. So let's begin with the gospel. So Joseph uh, is in, has a dream, and just a little bit, let's back up a little bit. He finds out his wife is pregnant. It's not his. He's very upset, but being a good guy, he's like, I don't want to cause shame to her, so I'll quietly divorce her and just move on with my life, find somebody else, right? So then he has this dream, and it must have been a powerful dream, not one you woke up and said, maybe I ate something bad, I had some bad pizza or something like that. No, he has this... Uh, uh, dream, and it changes what he's going to do about Mary. So the angel says to Joseph, Mary will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. He told him not to divorce Mary. So Joseph uh, obeys the angel and uh, stays with Mary. The baby's born, and he names him Jesus, so he obeyed the angel, Right? And so let's start by beginning with this name, Jesus, because this says a lot about who this baby would become. See, Jesus was a very common name for Hebrew boys back at that time. In Hebrew, it was very close to the name Joshua. So Jesus and Joshua, even though in English they don't sound that close, were uh, derivatives of each other. And the one meant the Lord saves for Jesus, and Joshua meant Yahweh is salvation. So right away in his name, we understand that Jesus, if he embodies what his name is about, is going to be one who brings salvation, who saves people from their sins. In the Old Testament, this was prophesied about, even in the Psalms, one of the Psalms of David, uh, uh, prophesied about what uh, this person, this Savior, would be about. It says here in Psalm 130, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. And then Jesus lived into this. As he healed people, he told them, your sins are forgiven. Go and leave your life of sin. When Zacchaeus was in that tree, a lot of you are familiar with that story, the rich guy who was kind of hoarded it all for himself and had really treated a lot of people poorly. Jesus says, I'm coming to your house today to have dinner. And then uh, he repents of everything he's done, and Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. 
His whole ministry, as he walked around for those three years that's recorded in Scripture, was about bringing the salvation message to other people. Jesus, before he was about to be crucified, said these words to his disciples. Don't you know that the Son of Man will save people from their sins and give his life as a ransom for many? And then he died on the cross. It says in Romans, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. He paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. And how do we know Jesus is who he says he was? Could it be just been some guy? Well, besides the resurrection, we'll get to that in a minute, there was the whole account of the virgin birth. Remember the angel that appeared and told him that Mary was conceived by the Holy Spirit? So he was fully God and fully human. I know that's hard for some of us to get our heads around, but so is the resurrection. But through God, all things are possible, even the possible to reconcile us, to forgive us for our sins by what he did on the cross. In Philippians, Paul writes that Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So God became one of us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, it says in John. The implications of this for each and every one of us is huge. The wages of sin is death. We need a savior. We can't do life on our own very well. And eternally, we can never do enough to earn our way. Our good is never going to outweigh our bad. We need help. We need a savior. Paul writes in Colossians to talk about what Jesus had done. And he said, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus died for us on the cross so we could have access to the Father. He rose again so all of us could know not only are we forgiven, but we have the real hope of eternal life. A friend of mine once said, Jesus came to tackle the sin problem because, this is what my friend said, because trying to live for ourselves is a lesson in futility. Jesus came to tackle our sin problem. Remember years ago, I was working at a summer camp when I was in college, and there was a boy who came from this really small town in West Virginia. Think of a small town in West Virginia, now think of smaller. These kids were super rural, a little bit hard to understand with their country accents, very sweet, but really it had, this is the first time they'd ever heard this stuff. They hadn't heard the gospel before, even though they were country kids. And I remember the speaker gave a talk and talked about how Jesus had died for their sins, And this boy that night became a Christian. And I told him, well, what is it like? What is it like? And he said, it's like taking a shower. He didn't smell bad before, but I was like, you know, what a beautiful way of saying it. It was like being cleaned. He realized that he had been given a fresh start, that therefore if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Jesus came to save us who are sinners. We were sinners and we are sinners in need of a Savior. So what was his mode of operandum? We know what he was, did. He saved sinners. I think the answer comes in his other name. In the reading, it, it goes on to say, Matthew, the gospel writer here, says this, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. That's the prophet Isaiah. 
The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which is God with us. See, the method for Jesus giving his, getting his message across was being with people. He walked among us. The word became flesh, as I said earlier, and lived among us. He didn't love people from a distance. He didn't put a big sign up in the sky with like little clouds. If you squint, maybe you see that God loves you. No, he walked among people. See, this was in the DNA of who the Son of God was. In John, in the Gospel of John, in the beginning, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And as we read through uh, that first chapter of John, we discovered that Jesus was the Word. He was in the beginning with God. All things came to being. So in the very beginning, there was that community, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit together. And then we understand about the sin problem in the garden where that fellowship was broken. And then Jesus embodies this Emmanuel. Jesus, the one who saves, walks with us, dies on the cross, so that all who put their trust in him, who believe in him, can have this witness with God, where they're no longer trying to struggle and do life on their own. And you know, after Jesus died on the cross, his disciples at first were thinking, oh man, it's over. He was with us. And now he's gone. Now what do we do? But then Jesus rises again. That's why we celebrate Easter every year. Appeared to many people, all different intellectual levels. It wasn't people hallucinating on drugs. These were regular, everyday people whose lives were changed because they saw the resurrected Christ. And he said, these were the words he said to him in the famous Great Commission found at the end of uh, Matthew. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Remember he told his disciples that I'll leave you another, and that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That God the Holy Spirit, for all of us who believe, dwells in us so that we never have to be alone. That when we're going through our darkest days, not only do we have the body of believers that surrounds us and helps us as we go through a tough time, but we have the ministry of the Holy Spirit that's telling us over and over again who we belong to. That reminds us what Jesus did on the cross, reminds us that God is with us. So now that we understand these two names of Jesus, Jesus, the one who saves, Emmanuel, that Jesus embodied, that God is with us, It comes to a time for a decision. In the prologue, as I read earlier in Romans, or I read an excerpt of it, it says this, By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. See, when you belong to Jesus, you recognize that Jesus is Lord. When you ask him into your life, when you say yes to Jesus, whether it's when you were a little kid or when you were an adult or maybe today, you take that shower. You understand that you're a new creation. And you also understand that you're called not only to belong to Jesus, but you're called 
that he is Lord and to proclaim that in every way in your life. You know, back when, uh, during Jesus' time, it was the Roman Empire, right, that ruled much of the world there, of the known world. And in the Roman Roman Empire, they said Caesar is Lord. And I was reading a a few different commentaries as I was preparing for the sermon, and one was by N.T. Wright. And N.T. Wright was saying, um, you know, Caesar's messengers didn't go around the world saying, Caesar is Lord. So if you feel you need a Roman Empire kind of experience, you might want to submit to him a little bit, or just every now and then. No, they were like, Caesar is Lord, and if you don't say that, we're going to kill you. We're going to submit our whole lives, everybody. They thought of Caesar as a god. That's why they're different rulers. The Christians had so much problem because they proclaimed that Jesus is Lord. And in the same way for these early believers, them saying Jesus is Lord was not just an expression like, you know, hey, God is love or something like that. No, they were saying we belong to Jesus. We're going to submit our whole lives to him, every bit of it. It's not going to be just a kind of a casual thing or to have a Jesus kind of experience once in a while. It is a full submission. That's why I love some of those baptisms in the river when you go all the way under, because it's a reminder that it's all of you in. See, that's what it meant to them that Jesus was Lord. It was a belonging. Not just I'm on the team or a gym membership kind of thing. Now, there's two examples in, uh, in Scripture of people who who submit to God, who submit to Christ with their lives. Well, the first one goes back to Joseph, right? His wife's pregnant with Jesus, so he hadn't met the actual Jesus yet. But he believed the angel. He believed that was God's messenger. He believed that his wife was going to give birth to the Savior of the world. So he was obedient. He married her. He didn't divorce her. He honored what God had said. And then... There's a great example after Jesus' resurrection, and it was Thomas. Greg's preached about this before. I preached about it, and I think he gets a bad rap of being doubting Thomas because every single one of us would have been like, no way, this can't be true. But he happened to meet the resurrected Jesus, and it wasn't Casper the ghost. It was a real person. It says, Jesus said to Thomas, put your fingers here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas replied, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those, that's all of us, who have not seen and yet have believed. When Thomas said, my Lord, it wasn't like, holy cow, or something like that. It was, I'm giving my life to you. This is real. My whole life is going to change from this moment. Jesus is Lord. See, this belonging into the lordship of Christ is a powerful thing when you understand it in those terms. And here's the good news for all of us, because sometimes I think we equate being a Christian with being perfect. And if that's the case, every single one of us doesn't belong in here, correct? We all mess up from time to times. But the great news about this lordship of Christ, about belonging to him, is it is solidified through grace. Paul writes in Romans, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Jesus, in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For all of us who say yes to Jesus, say yes to his lordship, that belong to him, 
we understand that there is no condemnation, that he is with us. He is quick to forgive. That's a great family. That's a great membership to belong to. Mistakes don't kick you out of the family on his end. God's faithfulness for our faith. See, our faith is secure in his big faith and his faithfulness from what he's done for us. When we understand that, we don't want to move away from God. We feel uncomfortable when our lives start drifting away from God. We go, something's wrong. This is not me. I don't belong to whatever I'm doing. And the Holy Spirit keeps guiding us back into the lordship of Christ and who we belong to. Eugene Peterson, in his version, The Message, and the same passage as Romans 1, but the last two, ver- or two of the verses, 5 and 6, I like the way he writes this because it kind of sums it up, um, kind of condenses it in a, in, a, in a nice way. I'll explain it in a minute. Through him we receive both the generous gift of his life and the urgent task, listen this, of passing it on to others who receive it by entering into obedient trust in Jesus. You are who you are through the gift and call of Jesus Christ. So we have life through our faith in Christ. And our job is to pass it on, not to hold it for ourselves. It is a gift to be shared. Paul ends his prologue to the Romans with these words, and it seems insignificant at the time, but he says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. When you submit your lives to the Lordship of Christ, he brings you peace and he brings you grace. The word for peace in Hebrew is shalom. And it's more of a, hey, peace, man. It's a deep peace, even when you're going through troubled waters, even when you're going through difficult times in your life. And then the word grace comes from the word charity. And we know charity is when we give to others. When we understand we're fulfilled and we're whole in Christ, then we start doing of the words in James. We put our faith into practice. We share the salvation message with others. We take care of the needs of the poor. We take care of widows because of the hope we have in Christ. And we share that message right along with that. Peace and grace. All of these happen when we understand that we belong to Christ. And it starts happening more and more in our lives. We don't retire from it. We don't hit 75 and say, that was a great thing. Now I'll just kind of drift away until I know. Every day we submit ourselves to the Lordship of Christ and we understand that we belong on this team. We belong in this family. You and I are important parts of the kingdom of God and the reconciling work of Jesus Christ. So my question for you all this morning is, do you really belong to Jesus? Because oftentimes we say, oh yeah, yeah, I believe, I believe. But remember, saying Jesus is Lord means every area of your life. It doesn't mean that you just say once, once in a while or when you're around church people. It's a deep understanding that you belong to him. And your whole life, your trajectory, the way you orient your life is from that core center of being in Christ. That we understand that on our own, we can't do this. That we are sinners in need of Savior. That Jesus is that Savior and that we've said yes to him. So have you said yes to him? Do you belong to Christ? 
You see, Jesus is not just another option on the religious buffet line. Might try a little Jesus, maybe a little Buddha, maybe throw this in, throw that in. No, Jesus doesn't give us that luxury. And it's not because he's being mean. He just said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Don't complicate your lives. I'm the one who brings you life. Belonging to me gives you purpose. Belonging to me is the only one that can take care of the sin problem that you have. We have a God that does not love us from a distance. Do you understand that? Do you understand that when you say yes to Jesus, he's with you? Maybe it doesn't always feel that, but I encourage you to say, God, I need you in my life. I'm having trouble seeing you right now. You will not disappoint. Our coming alive takes place when we say yes to Jesus and we understand that if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. You are called to make Jesus your Lord. You are called to that kind of belonging. You have a purpose. You are part of the team. You are part of God's plan. Submit your lives to him. Submit your lives to his lordship. We as a church, maybe most of you are saying, well, I believe this, Steve. Jesus is Lord. Yay. That's great. I know you're not really saying that. But you know what? Remember, this is a kingdom of grace. This is not us trying to do enough good stuff so God will like us. It's together as a collective body of believers, encouraging each other, reminding each other who we belong to. When friends are going through dark times or tough times or whatever it might be, we're reminding them that God is with them, that we're with them. For folks who don't know uh, Christ, we're reminding them that they need a Savior. They can't do it on their own. We explain that in love to them. See, we have a purpose as a church. It's to share this ministry that Jesus is Lord, to proclaim that not in an obnoxious way, but in a way that shares the love of Christ with others, because they can understand and desire this belonging that we have in those who believe. Sometimes when I'm uh, on hot day, summer days in Hilton Head, I, I'm from sort of the north, Washington, D.C. I guess for here, you know, for the true southerners, I'm a northerner, right? But on some of those really hot southern uh, summer days, I, I think to myself, I don't belong here. I think God designed me to be like from Newfoundland or something like that. You know, I'm just like going through my third shirt of the day. I'm just dying hot. But you know what? For all of us, maybe we feel like that sometimes. But I'm telling you, the one thing that we all do belong to is we belong to Christ. You may not want to right now, but I encourage you, submit your life to his lordship. Belong to him. Mark Twain said this, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. Pretty cool uh, quote, huh? Well, I don't want to change it a little bit. I feel like the most, two most important days for us as our Christians is the day Jesus was born and the second is the day we find out why it matters and we respond to that and we say, Jesus is Lord, I belong to him. So I encourage you, I can urge us as a collective body to proclaim that Jesus is Lord of our lives, to have our whole lives oriented that way. 
As we go into Christmas, it's so easy to lose touch about what the day is all about. Jesus' birthday, that our Savior has come into the world to save us from our sins so that we can understand that God is with us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And through that, we can say, Jesus is the Lord of my life and orient our lives that way. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. You sent your son, Jesus, to save us from our sins. We thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. First with Jesus and now with the Holy Spirit of Emmanuel, that God is with us. Lord, we thank you that when we submit our lives to you, we're not only members, but that we have a deep sense of belonging. Lord, help us all to know that uh, belonging this morning. Lord, help us as we leave here to orient our lives and everything we do to your lordship. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.